Good day, everyone. Glad to see you all this morning. A junior church, four years old through fourth grade. You are dismissed to walk. They'll meet you right up front here. Or jog. That's fine. So, um, as I do every Monday, I start looking and start trying to find a good joke to begin a sermon with. And as I've been accused of many times, I don't do good jokes. Just ask Owen. He's really faithful to remind me that I'm bad at jokes. But as I was looking at jokes for this topic, I actually couldn't find one that I really, really liked. When I got to thinking about it, I, I kind of came to that today's topic isn't funny. It's a really sad one. Uh, none of us like to hear no. I mean, how many of you really enjoy getting told no all the time? That's true of children, teenagers, and adults. I remember I hated to hear, hey, Mom, Mom, can, can I have the candy bar? No, we just ate supper. Mom, can I go outside? No, it's raining and thundering outside. Mom, can I stay up all night? Stay out all night with my friends. We're going to just drive around, TP some few houses and all that. No! I am glad my mom said no to me now. But in the moment, I hated, hated being told no all the time. Thankfully, they said no. It takes a lot of courage for parents to say no. Saying yes all the time is not what is best for children. I read several articles that pertain to this, and listen to this. It started off with, no is a word that children today do not seem to understand. Why is that? Because they rarely hear it. Apparently parents, according to this article, have forgotten how to say no. Once upon a time, no was a household word and was quite often used. I know I heard it plenty of times, but not anymore. Think about it. When was the last time you told your kids no? and meant it, and it stuck with them, not having to reiterate it and repeat it. Saying yes has spiraled out of control, he continues, and it's time to put a stop to it. Psychologists, parents, and educators are realizing that it's time to stop looking the other way and start teaching kids that life does not revolve around them. Kids have become demanding, rude, and spoiled. There is no longer any respect for adults or any authority of any kind. They lack compassion for others, and they do not know the value of any kind of work, much less hard work. There is only a sense of entitlement. Kids are out of control, he finished. Another article I read says, No is a way in which we set limits on behaviors. Whether we like it or not, there are limits. Society sets limits. Families set limits. Parents set limits. Employers set limits. Our spouses set limits. There are all sorts of ways in which we live and function in a world where there are limits. We prepare children for life when we create a world which reflects the limits of reality. We can go wrong when we allow our two-year-old to pound away at our legs and chuckle as he does so, thinking... I'll just lighten up and teach him later. It does not reflect the reality. Reality is we can't hit away at someone else to get our way. The sooner kids learn no for such actions, the easier life will be for them. When your daughter demands a limousine to take six of her best friends to get a mani-pedi for her birthday, you should say no. It's not that you can afford it. 
the reality is we have, um, it's not that we have a limousine taking us out for dinner every time, do we, just because we want one. The reality is that there are limits on spending, and a child needs to learn their request is not our command. That was what he ended with that. A child needs to learn that their request is not their, our command. There are not many pictures sadder to me than that of a parent who never says no to their child. A, a child who is obviously in control of their own parents. We've all seen that. Growing up, I had a, a kid that was, I was friends with in class. He got anything he wanted. They never told him no. Uh, he got everything. He was completely spoiled. And, and we wanted to hang around him so we could benefit from the stuff he had. That was really it. And he would dangle the new toys and, the, and all the candy and all the stuff that we'd want to get our attention, to get us to come to him. But eventually his attitude would drive us away because we'd have to play his game, his rules, his way only because we had his stuff. And so eventually his attitude would drive us away. We wouldn't want to hang out with that kid and we'd actually go hide on the other side of the playground so that he couldn't find us. If kids, elementary kids, don't want to be around people like that, what about adults? Do we want to be around that adult who has to have their way no matter what, and if you tell them no, they pout and go to somebody above you to try and get their way? So if kids don't like it and adults don't like it, what about God? Does God ever tell us no? Doesn't God want me to have what I want? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want us to have our way and to, to live the greatest life possible? Many times you'll hear people proclaim that God wants you to be happy. But is that truth or wishful thinking? Does God ever really tell us no? If God is perfect, that means he is the perfect example on how to parent... And today we're going to look at 2 Samuel 7 and witness how God reacts to David. We, we just went through the, the King series for Easter, and we saw how the, the crown kept getting tarnished and, and broken, and we revealed that underneath it was the real crown we needed, which was the crown of thorns. And so from now here on out, um, I just wanted this up for one more reminder that King David is really supposed to point us to the true king that we need. And in everything we see from David here on out, since he's been crowned, coronated as king, he is really still not going to fulfill what the people need. He's going to point to the Messiah, though. As our story begins today, we're going to see things have finally come together for David. 2 Samuel 7, 1. When King David was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. He has finally united the kingdom. Everybody is, is at peace. There's no more wars. After years of dangers and struggling and waiting, he is finally in his palace. He's not in the hillside. He's not in a cave. He's not around a campfire. He's in his palace. And it says God had given him rest. From his enemies. You know that feeling of just needing rest? Moms, I know you do. 
You just want some peace and quiet. You want that rest. No more bickering. No more fighting. No more demands. That's what David finally got here. Things are finally good. And as David takes a breath and he's surveying everything, he puts his feet up. He enjoys it. He starts thinking, what's my next mission or project? And it doesn't take him long to, to realize the obvious thing in his mind because he, he's a man after God's own heart and, and this is going to stir within him and it's going to bring about some, some things. And David just brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And now he's thinking, I have my own palace. I have my own home. I should build a permanent house for the Ark of God. So David establishes his place in Jerusalem. Now he intends to establish the place in Jerusalem for God. Go to verse 2. The king summoned Nathan, who was the prophet at the time. Look, David said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan here does something that he shouldn't have done. He speaks out. David announces, I'm gonna, I have plans for this new temple. I, I want to build this. And Nathan, who is now the prophet and David's advisor and confident, he responds to me, well, God's with you. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. You should do That's what kind of friends we want, right? Hey, I've got this idea. Perfect. It's wonderful. Let's do it. The interesting thing is, what did the prophet not do? He didn't ask God. Oh yeah, David, God's with you. It's obvious. Go ahead and do it. But both of them should have thought, why would they didn't think why would God have be against such a good idea? I mean, it's a good idea to have a temple. It's a good idea to have a meeting place. What could be more point uh, appropriate in this point in Israel's history? But God thought differently. Verse four. That same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? Wait, he went to Nathan. Um, you had a job to do. Now go do what I tell you to do. In the book of First Chronicles, it's a parallel passage. Look what he says there. But that same night, God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. So the way it's said in 2 Samuel, it's a little uh, sarcastic. Are you the one to build it? No. And in Chronicles, it's, it's told us in just plain English. But why would God say this? Isn't David the chosen king? Yeah. Isn't he a man after God's own heart? Building a temple for God is a great idea. It's a great plan. Yet God's plan is different, obviously. Didn't the prophet Nathan already give David the green light? Hey, yeah, great idea. Go ahead. Now he has to go back and say, um, you know that thing I said was a good idea? God does not. While God says no to the plan, the plan of David building this, look what else he says in 2 Samuel uh, 7, 8. Now go, so he says, tell him you're not to build it, but now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in a pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have destroyed all your enemies before you. 
before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they have done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people, Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. God said no to the plans of David building, but he said yes to David. And that's a big difference. God said, wait a minute, are you the one to build it? Let's put those plans over here. But David, you, I am saying yes to. I appointed you, David, to be the king of my people. I was with you. I sur- surrounded you. I saved you. I placed you here. Notice where the emphasis is here. But God has not appointed him to build this temple. Instead, he says, I'm going to make my name great. I am going to make your name great. Did you catch that in there? You're going to be more famous. God is going to, at the end, give you rest. This would be great. I would love to hear this from God. Can you imagine the elation of God reaffirming who you are like that? Saying yes to you. Maybe not yes to your plans, but yes to who you are. God is going to provide, protect, but that's not the end of the message. Verse 11, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make for you, make a house, a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. These verses are are a glimpse into the future. It's like God pulled back the curtain into the timeline and showed, hey, here's what you get to look forward to, David. He says, you are going to have a son, and, and you are going to build, he will build a temple. His king, thank you. His kingdom is going to be forever. It's allergy season, people. Okay, so just be aware of that. David wanted to build God a house, and God says, I am going to build you a dynasty. You think what you can give me is good? No, sit back and let me show you what I can do. David, you're going to have a son, and he he will build a temple to the Lord. But not only that, God's going to establish his throne forever. Why is it that God said no to David's desire? Was it because David was wrong here? Did he have the wrong motives? It appears that David's heart was actually right. Scripture commends it in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Then Solomon, who is David's son, said, My father David wanted to build a Build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord told him, you wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention is good. But you are not the one to do it. For your own sons will build the temple to honor me. Even here we can see God acknowledges your intentions are good. But no, you're not doing it. Rather than seeing David's desire as something wrong, God commended it. In First Chronicles 22... My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told Solomon. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles that you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. 
David, the warrior, has taken many lives, and some of them not right. And for that reason, God said, you cannot build my temple. Your hands are stained. They're tainted with the wrong kind of blood. God has his reasons. They are his reasons. It's not David's plans. It's not David's place. It is not our place to question God's decision. So with this, right here, what do you do when you are told no? You have this great idea when you have this wonderful plan, this this perfect uh, fix, and you get told no. Nice job, but no. Generally, don't we pout? Argue? Get angry? Then we try to justify, but wait a minute, you haven't heard the whole story. Here's what it would do, and you're just not listening. When we don't get what we want, especially when we think it's such a great plan, a great idea, we start lashing out. We even talk about, well, they just don't understand, and we start undercutting and undermining those people and what they're doing, the ones who said no. How did David, a man after God's own heart, respond to this message from God? Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. What should we do when we get told no? Isn't that interesting? David went in and sat down in the presence of God. I know at times when I get told no, I'm like, well, let me go fix this plan. I'm going to make it so they they can't say no. I'm going to fix it so that they absolutely agree. Instead, when David's told you're not the one who's going to build it, he went and sat down with God. We don't exactly know where it was he sat with the Lord. Maybe he went to the tabernacle where the ark was. Maybe he went into his bedroom or his study. David just heard him say no to the plans. You're not going to execute that dream and that plan. But instead of getting angry, instead of arguing and trying to prove his plan was good and right, he went to God. He sat down and he prayed. It was like David took himself out of the driver's seat of this idea and sat himself in the back seat and said, Okay, God, this is yours. He let God, the king, take the wheel. David sat before the Lord and he prayed. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Look what he prayed. King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. When we read, we cannot read it monotone, okay? You've got to hear the the emotion and the inflection of, of the heart in this. Who am I? Oh, sovereign Lord. And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty, do you deal with everyone this way, O Sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things that you have made them known to your servant. Basically, David goes before God right here and he says, God, who am I? I am nothing. Why would you give me so much? You know what I'm really like, God. You know I'm not worth it. 
how could you give me such great glory and honor? I think it's important. Very important that every once in a while we just sit down and take a long look at our very short lives. And look at what God has given us. Who are we to have been protected from such disasters that have hit so many others? Who are we that we have a house to keep us warm in the winter and cool in the summer so many don't have homes? Who am I, Lord, that you should give me health and strength and a job and a family, career and a degree? Who am I, Lord, to have parents who love and encourage me? Who am I to have such a wonderful spouse? Who am I, Lord, to have these kids and to see them grow? Who am I compared to you, God, and you gave me all of this? Verse 22, he goes on with the prayer. How great. He started with, who am I? How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. You have never even heard another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You have made your name great for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's army is God over Israel. May the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's army, God of Israel, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all of this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O Sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servants. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servants so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O Sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. This prayer right here, I think, is evidence that David is a man after God's own heart. What a grateful man at this point David is. When God came and said, no, you're not going to do it because of what you've done in the past, he didn't throw a temper tantrum. He stepped back, he sat down, he humbled himself before God, and he said, oh my goodness, God, you are awesome. He thanked God for being God. He thanked God for all that he has done. And did you notice a, a word that kept repeating in this second part of the prayer? Over and over it kept repeating. And if it's repeated, it's important. And hopefully I, I didn't explain it this way, but I, yes, look at what's highlighted. How great are you, God? You, 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 your kingdom, yours, you. In fact, if you go on to the next part of it, look, it's still continuing. 31 times in this passage, 
David says you, showing that God is in power, that God has promised, that God's will, God is doing the work. 31 times in this one prayer, David points everything to God. How many times in our prayers do we focus like that? How many of our prayers are directed to what we want, what we think we need? be a person after God's own hearts, our prayers need to be focused on God, not us. And that's what I see in this passage. David had a great idea, and when God gave him the answer, he says, you know what, God? You're awesome. This is what you want. You are the power. You are the king. You are the majesty. Forget that I'm wearing the main crown here. You have the ultimate crown. It's not health, wealth, or prosperity. It's not our comforts, but it's all about your desires, God. Your plans, your kingdom. We fail at this so many times, I think. We pray for our friends who are sick. We pray for the people who are struggling financially. And those are good things to pray about. But what is our focus in it? Is it for earthly comforts or eternity? Are we praying to make people feel better here? Or make sure that they live with God. David's like, it's all about you. And that needs to be our prayer. That's not all that David did. If you go to 1 Chronicles 22. So David gave, this is after he was just told, no, you're not going to build this. David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel. And he assigned them the task of preparing finished stone for building the temple of God. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He's not building it. He just said, I need all of you to start getting ready to build this temple. David provided a large amount of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors and the gates and for the clamps, and he gave more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided innumerable cedar logs for the men of Tyre, and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. David may have been a very weak father at times. But at the moment, at this moment, he is standing tall. David knew that God said no to him, but he said yes to the temple to be done through Solomon. So David was bound and determined to do all he could to make sure Solomon could do it even bigger and better. When you get told no and it's going to be given to someone else, that plan, that idea you had actually gets to go to someone else, even though it was yours, do you get excited about it? Do you throw your support? It's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. This is a, this is a little dumb example. Uh, but I was at another church, and we were planning a new building there. And I said, you know, with our youth group, we should have a pot machine. And I'd like to put one over here because the kids are going to drink it like crazy. And you can't have a pot machine in, in a church. That's what I was told. That's a dumb idea. I'm like, it's not a dumb idea. Come see all these kids. Nope, nope. Seven years later, after I'd been gone, I heard the one guy say, you know what? We're going to get a pot machine for this for the youth because they, they're going to drink it so much. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I just thought about it one day, and I think it's a great idea. I'm like, what? what? 
machine now? Isn't that what we do, though? When somebody else gets to do what we wanted, when somebody else gets the credit and the glory and the permission to do that, and to be a person after God's own heart, we must support others in what we want. You know what? The, the church that has that pop machine, they're doing it for the kids so they can help those kids come to need Jesus. Whether it was Donnie's idea or that elder's, it doesn't matter. God is reaching those people. Be a person after God's own heart. We've got to come to that. David did it immediately. He chose to give his full support to his son who was too young and too inexperienced to even know what to do. I just stated that. My son, he don't know what to do. But I'm going to make sure he has all the materials ready. Does this mean David didn't trust his son? No. He knew his son. But he knew his son was going to fulfill what God had promised. And he wanted to make sure he could live up to the standard of not Solomon, but of God. What this shows is David had faith that God would fulfill those promises. The main lesson we can see here is David, in David is that to be a person after God's own heart, we must understand that God knows what is best. He will do what is best. Our job is to humbly submit ourselves to God and obey That is one of the hardest lessons. Because I think, man, I've got a great idea. God, I just know this would work. I know it would fit. I think it could do this. And David took his eyes off of himself and he put them on God. When God says no to our prayers and our dreams, we must trust that he's got a lot better plan, something a lot bigger and better. And please I understand, I'm not saying that this is easy. Perhaps you pray that your loved one would be healed and they weren't. Perhaps you've been praying for a job and you're still unemployed. Perhaps you've been praying for a believing spouse or even a child. Perhaps you've been praying and you're still stuck. Perhaps you've been praying for a situation at work and it's still a struggle. You've got great dreams, but they don't materialize. I do want to say this. God does answer every single prayer He hears. He answers every one. He promises to hear the prayers of a righteous person. That's in Scripture. Which means to make sure our prayers are full of God's righteous plan. When it seems like God is saying no, He might be saying no, he might be actually saying, turn your eyes. Just like Brady was saying with Peter. Peter looked at the wind and the waves, and he sunk. And Jesus immediately reached out, so he was within arm reach. He said, why did you have doubts? Keep your eyes on me. That's what Jesus is saying. Keep him fixated here. Maybe we feel like we're getting a no because we are not looking in the right area. Part of the process of maturing faith is the ability to trust God regardless of the kind of answer we get. It's the truth of it. I try to make sure I always give my kids good gifts. If my boy asked for bread, would I give him a snake? No. 
that'd be dumb. And if me, a broken, sinful father, can do that, how much more, if we ask for something, God's going to give us what's even better, not worse. David focused on Solomon being the fulfillment of this promise of God, not himself. Yet Solomon was only part, a little bit a part of that promise. The fulfillment of that promise is not found in Solomon. That's why this is still here. This is why we need to look at this. For when you die, God, God's saying this to David, you are buried with your ancestors. I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. That is not Solomon. Solomon did not live forever. Solomon built a temporary temple, something that was partial. Only one person actually built the temple, the real temple where God lives, and that is the church. That is inside the people. And so while David is still looking at this crown, he's still thinking of Solomon here. This is the real one. This is the fulfillment of that. Jesus built a great temple. And then he allowed the Holy Spirit to move inside of it, which is us, the church, you and I, not this building. And only Jesus will reign forever. That is the truth of this promise. This is the Old Testament. It's already talking about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so the last lesson in this, to be a person after God's own heart, we must be in Jesus' kingdom, not our own. We have to make sure we are in His kingdom. So my question is, are you at this time? Are you in the kingdom of Jesus? Many times we feel like we are getting a no from God. Sometimes it feels like my prayers can't even reach the ceiling. And I'll tell you, most of the times those are my fault. They're not God's. Not most of the time, all the time. They're my fault. Because God hasn't moved. It must mean I have Many times we feel like we're getting a no from God, and maybe instead of a no, we're receiving a realignment. I had to get new tires for the van. I was planning on two, because I knew two were bad, and I get there, and they pull me out, and they said, uh, you need to check out this one. I'm like, it looks fine on this side. But they lifted it up, and on the inside, it was completely bald, because the van was out of alignment. And it was wearing away, and it wasn't proper. And so the whole time... Without knowing it, we were fighting the van. Maybe that's not a no from God, but he's saying just turn a little bit. Let me fix it so you can see what I am saying yes to. Quit looking at the negatives. Quit looking at your ideas. Look at the grand, big dream I'm going to give you. You want to build me a temple, David? I'm going to build you a legacy. Forget that. Look at what I'm doing. And look at all of us right here. He wants to build a legacy in each one of us. He wants to build a legacy that blesses to the thousandth generation those who call upon his name and live according to it. And we have that choice. Are we going to stand and we're going to live in his yes, in his answers, in his plan? Are we going to pout because it didn't go our way? Because only one king rules forever. What are we going to do?
If you've never accepted Jesus as your king, not the culture, not the government, not the world rulers and powers, but Jesus, I want you to know it's always open. If you need to come and pray and talk with somebody about your spiritual journey or some struggle, we're going to have that back classroom again, the prayer area. We want to meet with you because we all come together equal at the foot of the cross. Will you do that? Let's stand and let's pray. God, we praise you. Lord, we thank you so much for your son and the the kingship that you truly hold. And Lord, help us to, to let go of our own ideas and our own plans. Help us to let go of those and humbly submit to your timing and your desires. God, we praise you. We praise you for always answering prayers to forgive us of doubting Forgive us of taking our eyes off and sinking in the world. Forgive us for our unbelief. And thank you for always saving us when we, when we cry out. And help us be your church that proclaims your truth more and more. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.